Well, if you have a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 6. We'll be reading verses 39 through 46 together this morning. But as you do, I also have an important announcement for you. So uh, there is something happening next Sunday that you're going to want to be in the building for. We are going to have a guest speaker and a special presentation that we're calling Following Christ in Iran. It's the testimony of a Muslim background believer. I have to be careful of what we're saying on the live stream. So, And on that note, because of the sensitive nature of our brother's story and his ministry um, back in the Middle East, we are not going to be live streaming next Sunday. So this is definitely something you'll want to be in the building for. Uh, Some of us guys had an opportunity to meet at the men's retreat, a local believer, a refugee from Iran, and we got to hear his story of experiencing God's love, Christ's love in a closed conservative Muslim country. And what being God's witness required. And I'm really excited, not because this brother is a super saint or something like that, but he is this ordinary believer who heard God's word and did it. It's this fitting conclusion to our journey through Jesus' sermon where we love our enemies, where we pray for those who abuse us, where we choose to not judge or condemn Because this brother was faithful to do that and he saw God's spirit show up in miraculous ways. And so I'm honored that uh, he and his wife and his kids will be here next Sunday to be with us. And it brings to mind for me that passage in Hebrews that says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. It's my prayer that this testimony... Of our, of our brother from the global church would encourage us and inspire us and give us confidence to run the race that the Lord has for us. And it's also my prayer uh, that this man is now just a regular dude working in Washington State and may we be an encouragement as God's body here to this brother. So next week, Come, if you're in the kids' ministry or something like that, we will have private video recordings upon request, but we are not going to be live streaming, so really, really encourage you to join with us in the building. So we are, this morning, finishing our deep dive into Jesus's Sermon on the Plain, and that is plain as in a level place, not plain as in flying machine. And we've been grappling these last several weeks with those costly calls that Jesus puts upon us to love our enemies, to to be merciful as our Father is merciful, to not judge and not condemn. And in light of these lessons, one of you sent me this lovely cartoon strip uh, that is from the comic strip Pearls Before Swine, and allow me to read it for you just to show that we're really getting what Jesus is putting down. So in it, we see rat say to pig, in a moment of great spiritual development, I finally stopped judging others. 
and pig. That's great. What was the key? Accepting that everyone else is a moron and there is nothing I can do about it. To which pig gently pushes back. I think that's still judging. Please don't judge my progress. I love it. Yes, we are all morons, but praise God, there is something that Jesus can do about it. That is our hope and our joy. And that comic is great. Thank you, Dan. But I also like even better this quote that I stumbled upon that I think really encapsulates what we've been discovering, especially last week as we looked at Jesus interact with the woman caught in adultery. So I want you to process this quote with me. It comes from biblical scholar Preston Sprinkle, which, man, that is a great name. And he writes this, Whenever Jesus encountered people who were engaged in sin, Jesus showed love. He loved people into obedience. Why? Because it's God's kindness that leads to repentance, not our repentance that leads to God's kindness. What do you think of that? Jesus loved people into obedience because it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. Indeed, it's on account of God's kindness that salvation is even a possibility for us in the first place. And I really find Sprinkle's words to be this apt summary of Christ's way. Something that ought to be front of mind as we listen to Jesus finish his own sermon here in Luke chapter 6. And here's what we read. He, Jesus, also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. We are blind guides. In our flesh, we cannot find the way, neither can we lead people into it, but Jesus knows the way because he is the way. And when we follow him, it says we will become like him. Our character will become a reflection of his character. Our presence will be experienced as God's presence. But he's saying we can't see clearly. So what is it that we can't see and why is it that we can't see it? Jesus continues in verse 41. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take out the speck that's in your eye when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye? You hypocrite, First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. We cannot see our own junk and brokenness because too often we're laser-focused on the failures and the foibles of others. I think it's quite difficult for humor to cross cultures How many of you find British humor to be kind of odd, even though we share a similar language, right? I think Jesus here is trying to be, or I think he is funny, um, and he's crafting this kind of ridiculous scenario from his own experience. 
Remember, he spent nearly 20 years quietly working away as an obscure carpenter and stonemason. He's someone who knows his way around an architectural plan, someone who knows the weight and the heft of various hammers and saws. He's intimately familiar with how sawdust gets everywhere. And he says to us, you're like that conscientious carpenter who sees the speck of wood chip in your partner's eye. Hey, buddy, stay still for a second. Let me help you get that out. I don't want it to cause any further damage or irritation. But then Jesus says, you don't realize how obstructed your vision is. You're in no position to do this sensitive work because there is a log embedded in your own eye socket. And the Greek word here for log speaks of a load-bearing beam in a house. This isn't a small obstruction. This is a four by ten. And it's almost like the guy is saying, buddy, you, you want to help me? I don't know how you can even stand with that massive thing sticking out of your head. Much less do anything to help on my account. Physician, heal thyself. You see, Jesus is being playful, but it stings too. He assures us that we are less than qualified to provide any assistance in our current state. He affirms the heart that says, hey, I want to help a brother out. But he taps the brakes and says, to be helpful to anyone, your work must begin at home. That's the far bigger and the more pressing assignment if you want to be any sort of useful to your neighbor. You see, there's a phrase that is familiar in our brand of Christianity. It's something I've said many times myself over the years. Love the sinner, but hate the sin. Now, there's nothing technically wrong with that phrase, right? Jesus calls us to love sinners, Jesus also hates sin. He hates how sin violates his holiness, his goodness, his justice. He hates how sin is both destructive in our lives and damaging to others who are caught up in our carnage. Yet here in this passage, Jesus does not command us to love the sinner and hate their sin. He puts a different nuance on it. And before I share with you what I think that nuance is, I keep thinking about Sprinkle's line about Jesus loving us into obedience and how it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And I'm trying to imagine, say, what would happen to my son's psyche if every day I told him, I love you, little sinner, but I hate your sin. Every day, I love you, little sinner, but I hate your sin. First, I think sinner would become one of his primary identity words. Now, don't get me wrong. Sinner is an accurate word for Elijah. It's an accurate word for me. But I don't want him to gaze at his reflection in a mirror and say, I am a sinner who is full of sin worthy of hate. I want his primary identity to be, I'm a dearly loved son who's been washed clean and saved 
by grace. Second, if every day I said, I love you, little sinner, but I hate your sin, I imagine the but, that but to my love would grow in intensity every time he heard it. I love you, but. I love you, but. I say this over and over again to my kids. No buts. Don't say, I'm sorry, but. Just say, I'm sorry. And I think Jesus would say the same thing. Don't say, I love you, but. Just say, I love you. And again, I don't think there is anything technically wrong with that phrase, love the sinner, but hate the sin. But it's not how Jesus is calling us to engage with people. I think he would teach us a different mantra. Love the sinner and hate your own sin. Love the sinner, hate your own sin, and let's pursue Jesus together as broken people in need of grace. Can we say that together? Love the sinner, hate your own sin, and let's pursue Jesus together as broken people in need of grace. That's beautiful. But it also leaves me with a question. What, are we just con- condemning those who we care about to live with sawdust in their eyes? That scratches their cornea and causes increasing and potentially lifelong damage to their vision. Sorry, it's not my job. It's Jesus' job. Well, in part, yes, exactly. It's not our job to fix people. It is Jesus who breaks the power of evil, sin, and death in their lives and makes all things new. He is the one who puts to death our flesh, our old, wicked nature, and raises us to walk in newness of life. It's His Spirit that purifies and transforms. It is not your efforts of correction. Be free of that burden if you think it is your job to fix people. But, but notice how the parable ends. After some much needed, humbling, self-reflective log removal surgery, the conscientious carpenter does help his partner get the wood chip out of his eye. And notice, too, that three times Jesus refers to this speck-eyed man as brother. Jesus is assuming a communal bond. This is not an outsider. This is someone with whom you have a relationship. This is a beloved family member, someone, a fellow disciple who's been caught up as well with you into the grace and the community of God. One of the sweetest things for me right now as a parent is to watch my son Elijah as he becomes this more confident and more proficient reader. He's now doing unbidden his own little quiet times with the Lord. And it's fun because he always reads out loud. So I've heard him multiple times read these verses to himself. He's been stuck for some reason in the story of Cain and Abel. And so I hear his little voice at our kitchen table say, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? 
But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. I don't want to condemn my son. I don't want to be judgmental towards him, but I do want to be beside him in the battle as he fights against his sin and as he fights to trust his Savior. By the power of God's Holy Spirit in his little life, I want to see him rule over those destructive influences and emotions that seek to dominate him. I want to help him and encourage him and equip him to, with great courage, get that abrasive, dangerous wood chip out of his eye. Jesus calls us not to be condemning or judgmental, but he does not mean for us to not be discerning or perceptive. He desires for us to be able to distinguish what is life-giving from that which causes desolation. But such a partnership with another believer, with a spiritual family member, only comes after you prioritize addressing your own junk and brokenness. Then when we do come alongside a brother in their battle with sin, we remember the wisdom that Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10:12, let anyone who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. So Jesus says, first take the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And this is a core message of the gospel. Because it gets repeated in different words three more times in the New Testament. And I want us to kind of hear each of these restatements this morning. The first one comes from Jesus himself in Luke 17. He says this. And he said to his disciples, Temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Jesus takes sin very seriously. But he says, pay attention to yourselves. And if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day, turn to him seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The word rebuke here in the Greek is the word epitamao. And it's a strange word because it contains this double meaning. On the one hand, it carries the sense of according honor to someone. But on the other hand, it has the second sense about assigning them blame. And somehow when you smush those two senses together, you get a meaning that is to rebuke, to to reprove, to reprimand. And I do think Jesus is going to unpack that for us in a little bit, but I want to put that point of data on and have it in the back of your mind as we read our next two kind of restatements of Jesus's teaching. This next one comes from Galatians chapter 6. And Paul writes to the Christians there, in what is now modern-day Turkey. He says, Brothers and sisters, if anyone is caught in transgression, 
And when you hear that word caught, it's not, ha-ha, I got you, busted. It's, it's caught like you've been entangled or ensnared. You've been caught up in something. So he's saying, if anyone is ensnared or tripped up by transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then our last kind of restatement of this principle comes from Jesus' own blood brother, Jude. He writes this in the letter of Jude towards the end of your Bibles. Keep, Keep yourself in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. A biblical scholar named Garland sums this up in this way. He says, The expectation is that Jesus' disciples, who are not blind to their own faults, deal with their brothers and sisters with the same love and hope that Jesus deals with them. Persons should not expect to receive from God what they are not prepared to bestow on others. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Love, forgive, restore in a spirit of gentleness. Bear burdens, Show mercy with fear. Keep watch on yourself. Snatch others from the fire. And then that weird word, rebuke. How can you both simultaneously accord someone honor and assign blame? I think Jesus explains this as we continue his sermon. He says, For no good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So no good tree bears bad fruit. How does that statement connect with this notion of of godly rebuke? I think Jesus is saying to us, you are a good tree. He is according us honor. He says, now in me, you are a good tree. So why is there bad fruit? A good tree ought to produce good fruit. To which we say, you know what, Jesus? Well, there's bad fruit in my life, which must mean I have a wicked and ugly heart. I don't know what you expect. I'm only human. I'm not perfect. 
But Jesus gently reprimands that thought. He, he gently assigns blame, even while according us honor. He pushes back, you're only human, yes, but I've raised you to walk in newness of life. Jesus has crucified our old flesh when we put our trust in him. What does it say in Galatians 2.20? I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus no longer allows us to trot out that old excuse anymore. What did Paul say in Romans 6.11? So you must also consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Reckon yourself, count yourself No longer under the sway of your vices, you are now free by the very power of Christ at work in you. The Holy Spirit of God lives in you and empowers you. Says Romans 8.11, the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And the fruit of that Spirit, we know, is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We know that God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but he's given us a spirit of power and of love and a sound, self-disciplined mind. Indeed, we know that it is his divine power that gives us everything we need for life and godliness. He's given us us his precious and wonderful promises that we might share in his divine nature and escape, as Peter says, the world's immorality that sinful craving produces. This is how Jesus rebukes us. He reminds us of all of the honor that God has accorded us by his grace. And he reminds us who we are in Christ. Those old things no longer are true of us. And he calls us to live as the people that we are. To tap into the spirit of the living God that now dwells in us. To bear fruit in accordance with what he has stored up in the treasury of our hearts. And we don't have to muster it. We don't have to squeeze it out of us. Because he gives us a heart transplant. Ezekiel Back in the Old Testament said, I will, this is speaking for God, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you shall be my people and I will be your God. This is the model of how we in humility come alongside a brother or sister. We don't judge or condemn. We remind them of who they are now in Christ. We encourage them to trust God, to rely on Him, on His wisdom and His resources. We call them back to the wholeness that God intends and enables for them. And our passage ends 
where we're ending today is Jesus saying, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? It's not enough to know him as Savior. We must follow him as Lord. Let's commit today to doing what he tells us. So I ask you what I, what I ask myself. We say love the sinner, hate our own sin, and, and let's pursue Jesus together as broken people in need of grace. How will we respond to Jesus in each of these areas. So I have some questions for you to consider this week. The first is this. Love the sinner. What sinner in your life is God calling you to love? I want you to find the name and jot it down and start thinking through how will you practically demonstrate God's gracious love to them this week? Which sinner... In your life, is God calling you to love and how will you do it this week practically? The second part is this. Hate your own sin. What sin in your life are you not taking seriously enough? Name your sin. And then fight your sin. What way of escape or resistance has the Lord already provided for you to not be tripped up and ensnared. Trust your Savior. Which of God's promises are you rejecting when you indulge in that vice? Love the sinner. Hate your own sin. And then lastly this, pursue Jesus together as broken people in need of grace. How will you begin to live this out in community? Where are you finding that safe spiritual community where you aren't judged and condemned, but you have people by your side that are reminding you who you are now in Jesus, encouraging you to trust him courageously, to lean into his resources, to acknowledge that actually those old vices no longer dominate. They no longer have the say over my life. May we love the sinner, hate our sin, and pursue Jesus together as broken people in need of grace. Amen? Well, I'm going to invite the worship team to close us in song. And as they do, I just want to read one more time the end of Jesus' sermon to you. And just let these words wash over you. So here's how Jesus finishes his sermon on the plain. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out that is in your eye? When you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye, you hypocrite, first take out the log out of your own eye, then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. 
and the evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose and the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like the man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. Lord, may we hear your words, your law of love, and do them. May we know your power and your presence as we trust you and we trust to have your life flow through us to others who don't deserve it but are desperate for grace. In Jesus' name, amen.